live from the Finley Toyota ESPN Las Vegas studios. I hate these guys. I don't know why you don't, and I'll be in the car. This is the Press Box. Makeup stuff. Tyler Bischoff. That player is known as the Scrabble Jackass and is then handed the box top for any further rule clarifications. Adam Candy. I can't hate him. He is so transparent in his self-interest that I kind of respect him. Would I buy a car from him? On ESPN Las Vegas. Jack Eichel is a Golden Knights. Golden Knights finally pulled off the trade. Got rid of Alex Tuck and Peyton Krebs in a first-round pick to do so. But here we go. The first bite. Did the Golden Knights steal Jack Eichel from Buffalo? The full trade details. Jack Eichel and a third-round pick in 2023 are coming to Vegas. Alex Tuck, Peyton Krebs, a 2022 first-round pick, and a 2023 second-round pick are headed to Buffalo. Uh, Adam, I think if we're just judging the trade and not some of the stuff that'll have to come afterwards... I feel like Buffalo did not get enough for Jack Eichel. Um, I don't necessarily agree. I, I think that this is a decent return for the situation that they were in. And I'm not talking about what Golden Knights have to do to fit Jack Eichel later. I'm talking specifically about uh, the fact that Jack Eichel and the Buffalo Sabres were at a stalemate and had next to no trade leverage. So in the end, when you look at what they got... You got a guy who is considered a pretty surefire prospect in Peyton Krebs, a guy who they believed enough in here in Vegas to be playing on the first and second line while everybody is injured. Uh, Alex Tuck is proven and young. You do get a first rounder out of the deal. I don't know that uh, that's the greatest value in terms of where Vegas is going to finish this year, but I don't know that I agree that they got uh, that that's a steal. I think it's probably a fair return. So if you're the Golden Knights, you you make this trade though, right? If you're the Golden Knights, you 100% make this okay. trade. But you know what? I also was prepared to overpay for Jack Eichel, considering what the payoff could be. So, all right. Jack Eichel's coming. Uh, when he plays, we shall see. The Golden Knights are reportedly going to allow him to have the next surgery that he wants to have, which, by the way, is one of the weird details of this, that he was arguing with Buffalo about what type of next surgery he wanted to have. But the Golden Knights are uh, reportedly going to let him have the type of surgery he wants to have and should be back in three to four months, potentially into February, beginning of March is kind of that timeline there, which would give him a chance to come back. But trade is Tuck, Krebs, first round pick, and then a swaps of second and third. But that, more than likely, is not all the Golden Knights are going to have to do because if they were fully healthy, and the key there is if because they are certainly not fully healthy at the moment, but if they are fully healthy, their roster would put them way over the salary cap. Puckpedia has them. If Pacioretty, Stone, and Eichel were all healthy and on the roster right now, $10 million over the salary cap. They can make it work technically right now because Pacioretty's on long-term IR. They can move Mark Stone to long-term IR. And Jack Eichel can go on long-term IR. And all those guys don't count against the salary cap at the moment but they're all expected to come back in season and when they do the golden knights would be well over this this is not a 
hey, you can send Brandon Peary back and forth between the AHL to find a million dollars at the end of the year. That would be way over. So that's the curious part here, because for the Golden Knights, not only do you lose Tuck, Krebs, and a first, there's probably going to be something else significant that they have to do. There is, but the question is, how far out can we really project that? Because if the Golden Knights need some salary relief and they need to trade someone off the current roster, then we have no idea what the return for that is going to be. Obviously not much. I mean, maybe they have to cut somebody, maybe they have to trade somebody for a draft pick, but I think it's fair to say we're not looking at it in totality as yet, so we got to evaluate what we have in front of us. And the worst that the Golden Knights have to do is probably take some guys who are either, what, maybe a third pair defenseman or a third or fourth line wing off the roster in order to make this work. And I don't know that that's necessarily something that stops you from going out and acquiring Jack Eichel. More importantly, this franchise has never shown that it cares. (laughs) It doesn't. They don't care at all when it comes to the salary cap. They will deal with the bill later. Like they will just run up the credit card and figure it out later. Mark Stone, nine and a half million. Max Pacioretty, seven million. You know, William Carlson, just shy of six million. Marsha Stone, Riley Smith, and uh, Evgeny Dodonov, five million. Like, they will figure it out one way or the other, even if it means that you go into playing against Colorado with, you know, six or seven skaters. It is the greatest type of team to cover. And it's outside of maybe trading away your favorite player. It is the greatest type of team to be a fan of because they are always going for it. They are always looking at, okay, there's some level of star guy that's out there that's available. Well, how the hell do we get him? Oh, okay. We'll be $10 million over the cap at some point. Eh, it's fine. We'll figure it out. I mean, yes, it hurts if they trade away your favorite player, but you, like, we, you and I talk about baseball a lot and how many owners and how many teams aren't actually going for it. It happens in some other sports too, but to have a front office, to have a team that is constantly in, hey, we can get that guy. He's awesome. It's, it's a phenomenal type of team to cheer for it might not always work not every trade or every move works out very well would you rather have nick suzuki right now than what you got out of max patrick the last couple of years eh, maybe maybe not but it is certainly the type of move the type of aggression that i, I think anybody would want to be a fan of and think about alex tuck in particular a young player right a, a guy who we've been looking at for a long time and at age 25 saying well they got the cost certainty contract, right? Signed yep. for a little less than $5 million all the way through 2026. Like, that's how we thought this team was going to be built on guys like Alex Tuck and Shea Theodore. Uh, but obviously, there's another level here, right? Like, there is a level above all of that for, uh, for Bill Foley. Uh, Alex Petrangelo is a great example last year. Uh, we sat here in the offseason last year and said, how exactly would they fit Alex Petrangelo under the salary cap? And then Nate Schmidt uh, walked out the door. So eight, you know, eight point eight million for Alex Petrangelo, five for Alex Martinez and Shea Theodore, five for Robin Leonard. And then you know, when they needed salary cap relief, they sent out the most popular player in the history of the franchise. So it's ruthless. It's absolutely ruthless, is what it is. And I think that's what Vegas Golden Knights fans are going to have to adjust to: is the fact that if you buy a jersey. Don't anticipate that that player is going to be on the ice for very long when you show up to a game. But I mean, pro tip, don't buy one. Like, maybe, like, who would you feel comfortable buying right now? Mark Stone and Jack Eichel? Is that it? 
Mark Stone, Jack Eichel, and Alex Petrangelo. That's about okay. it. Yeah. I mean, yeah, there's nothing else. Like, I, I, you can't even put Leonard in there. You definitely can't put Pacioretty in there. You can't put any of the misfit line in there. Bob Shea Theodore's name was obviously thrown out. Like, it's it's two or three players, and that's the only ones you can buy with any confidence. All right, I do, I do want to look into the future quite a ways, like four months into the future when presumably this team – well, maybe not fully healthy, but at least close to fully healthy. They've got the potential to put out there Max Pacioretty, Jack Eichel, and Mark Stone on a line together. Assuming Jack Eichel comes back from his neck surgery, the same player he was in 2019, the last time he played a full season, we making that the best line in hockey, slightly behind the McDavid or McKinnon line? Like that's a That's a top two, top three line in the sport, isn't it? It's up there. I think you look at the McKinnon line and say that Landeskog, Ranton, and McKinnon uh, is by a fairly long shot the best line in the NHL, in part because the Oilers choose to break up uh, McDavid and Dreisaitl. And so, yeah. you you know, you, you could have a better line there than you do. Uh, but for the Golden Knights, here's what you're going to have when you put that line together, assuming you put that line together. You're going to have the captain of the Montreal Canadiens, the captain of the Buffalo Sabres and the captain of the Ottawa Senators all on one line together. Like that doesn't really happen very often. Like Jack Eichel is going to get here. And the guy who was the captain of the Sabres before they unceremoniously stripped him in the offseason over this neck surgery issue probably isn't even going to have an A on his jersey. I I so I am curious when we when we again we're projecting way out in the future. Who's healthy will have a big impact on this. Hell, who's still on the roster at that point will have a big impact on this. But I am curious sort of what the Golden Knights' lines would look like when they're presumably healthy, when they're going into the final 20, 30 games of the year and getting ready for the playoffs. Because you can form that super line, Eichel with Stone and Pacioretty, and I would guess that's what they're going to want to do or try to do. But I, I wonder how top-heavy it makes them, depending on what other moves they have to make. And I wonder how much DeBoer would be encouraged to to try to break up the talent and spread it around, like you said, with Dreisaitl and McDavid not playing together, if there's any thought to that. Because, you know, they might get into it and say, wow, our third line absolutely sucks again, and we'd be better off with three decent lines as opposed to one super line at the top. But think about the playoffs, right? Think about what this team is really building toward. It's not building toward February or March. It's building toward you know, April, May, and June. And so that fourth line is the kind of line that we sat there and said, really, you're going to keep rolling Ryan Reeves out there uh, during the playoffs, right? And eventually they didn't. Right? Eventually that fourth line was down to getting seven or eight minutes of ice time per game, and you can get away with that for the most part. So if you have a super line at the top and then the misfit line, which was the number one line on a team that went to the Stanley Cup final, then figure out the third line. Nobody cares. You know what I mean? Like in the end, you'll, you'll figure it out because you're going to soak up 60% of the ice time in any game, probably more than that, actually, uh, with those two lines at the top. And your third's still going to be pretty good. And for anybody who's wondering about this trade, remember that Alex Tuck, when everybody was healthy, was playing on the third line with this team. So they clearly looked at him with that type of value and said, yeah, I mean, we can put Alex Tuck higher, but you know, he's been a reliable goal scorer who we keep thinking is going to take a step to the next level defensively, et cetera. 
who really hasn't. So your third line doesn't matter all that much when it comes to where the Golden Knights think they're headed. A very good addition by uh, Christopher Boyd on Twitter. Uh, they will also have the captain of the St. Louis Blues as one of their defensemen. This is accurate. <laughs> this is accurate. So when you can have four of the 32 captains in the NHL on your roster, you're doing all right. <laughs> Coming up next, we will jump into the Raiders. And if Odell Beckham is going to become a legitimate possibility for the Raiders to sign. Uh, Odell will not be out there. He's been excused. Uh, Andrew Barry and his representatives are, are continuing to talk. Uh, so for de- today, Odell will not be out there. Would you forgive Odell for this? Would you accept an apology? Yeah, I think any sort of conversation would go a long way. Odell Beckham has been uh, excused from practice the last two days by the Cleveland Browns. Uh, his father posted a video on Instagram of Baker Mayfield missing Odell Beckham when he was open earlier in the week, which is still one of my... That's a, that's a very, like, college... But hell, that's more... That's a high school sport type story where your dad is mad that the quarterback doesn't throw to the receiver when he's open. Uh, Beckham had one catch for six yards in the Browns' loss to the Steelers on Sunday. He did not get traded at the trade deadline, which means if he's going to be gone from the Browns, they're going to have to waive him. And waiving him would cause, if any other team were to claim him off waivers, they would have to pay the remainder of his salary, which would come out to about $8 million. If he cleared waivers, then he could sign as a free agent with anybody for whatever contract they agreed to. So first off, on the Cleveland side of this, the Odell Beckham side of this, I think the large assumption is he's played his last game for the Browns. Do you think he ultimately gets waived before this week is over? No, I really don't because I don't see where that benefits the Cleveland Browns to watch Odell Beckham go to another contender in the AFC. Uh, That's the risk you run because we're past the trade deadline because it all happened to blow up at the absolute wrong time for the Cleveland Browns. Um, I also don't know who's taking Odell Beckham at $8 million because if you look at his time in Cleveland, Odell Beckham Jr. in Cleveland was not in any way Odell Beckham Jr. from New York. Uh, If you look at his four full seasons in New York, excluding 2017 when he was hurt, receiving grade by Pro Football Focus, 91, 90, 85, 89.9. Outstanding, elite, top shelf. In his time in Cleveland, and granted there is a major injury in here, but in the full season in Cleveland, a 69 receiving grade, then a 73 and a 66. You're getting a guy who is much more a good but not great receiver at an inflated price if you take Odell Beckham at $8 million. Okay, so if he were to be waived by the Browns and he clears waivers where no team puts in a claim, he becomes a free agent and you can sign him. He Granted, he gets to pick where he wants to go, but you can sign him for whatever contract you want. The Browns are on the hook for paying out the rest of that $8 million. So from the Raiders' perspective, and this is a, this is a big if because I kind of agree with you. I don't know that it makes a lot of sense for the Browns to just – wave him at the moment like you're getting nothing for a guy that conceivably could have some value either for you or somebody else in the future but in this scenario if you're the Raiders you're, you're interested in Odell Beckham right are you going to do much better than Odell Beckham if he's the guy that's available oh no absolutely not 
And given the Henry Ruggs situation, they have no choice but to look at every available receiver out there. Uh, the problem for the Raiders is they have roughly $3.8 million in cap space available right now. Uh, so it would necessitate another move or Odell Beckham Jr. taking a pay cut, which, okay, good luck with that. Because <laughs> um, you can look at the cap space available in the NFL and see the Broncos with $15 million, the Seahawks with $13 million, the Panthers with $12 million, the Chargers with $10 million, the Bengals, who were probably set at receiver, but why not, uh, at nine point seven? Those Those are teams that are contending and could use Odell Beckham Jr., and obviously are going to be much simpler destinations than the Raiders. Have you learned nothing, Adam? Just take the Golden Knights. The salary cap's not real. It doesn't matter. You can make it work. Yeah, the, uh, the <laughs> Golden Knights have one of those funny money salary caps, which is very impressive. Just ask the uh, Tampa Bay Lightning. They pulled it off last year with Nikita Kucherov. Uh, but the uh, the Raiders are a slightly different spot. Just a little bit. So I, I'm fascinated to see because I, I think the point you make is one of the best one. If you're the Browns, like what, what benefit does it do you? Like why would you release him or waive him at this point? Like it just, it doesn't make a lot of sense. I don't think it's a would make sense for the Browns to do so, but it might end up happening. And if so, be fascinating to see where Odell Beckham goes. And like you brought up the Pro Football Focus grades, be fascinating to see which. Odell Beckham, he is at whatever his next stop is. Like, is he a dominant, like, clear, number one awesome wide receiver? Or is he just kind of like, yeah, he's another guy. He's solid, but he's he's okay. Tomorrow is Odell Beckham's 29th birthday. And oh. there are not a lot of receivers who we're going to see improve at yeah. that point of their career. We've seen guys maintain their level deep into their career. Right? I mean, you, you can look at a Julio Jones or a Larry Fitzgerald or guys who have been able to continue to perform at a high level. Problem is, we haven't seen that level out of Odell Beckham since 2018. And that includes a full season before he blew out his knee in Cleveland. So if you're an acquiring team right now, you have to be realistic about what you're getting with Odell Beckham. So from the Raiders side, I am I am curious to see what they do now because at the moment they only have three active wide receivers in uh, Brian Edwards, Hunter Renfro, and Zay Jones. Um, they had released John Brown before the season. Willie Sneed asked for his release uh, not too long ago, so they cut into some of that. The veteran guys they signed as you know kind of insurance for if the younger guys didn't work out as well. Uh, they're all gone now, uh, so I'm curious what they do because they obviously need a body at the very least, let alone what type of player they need a body because three wide receivers is, you know, they like to run four wide receiver sets. So I'm curious what they do. And I'm also curious when you, you know, you lose Henry Ruggs and the impact that has, I wondered, like, do you think this offense needs a deep threat? We saw last year, Nelson Aguilar, they, he, they ended up putting him in that role and he had, you know, basically a breakout season after dropping everything in Philadelphia Henry Ruggs was used in that same type of role this year. Like, whoever they sign, does it need to be a guy that, yep, he stretches the field for us, and, and even if we don't throw it to him but two or three times a game, we just need the guy that runs fast really far down the field. So you are familiar, I assume, with which quarterback leads the National Football League in deep attempts this year, right? It's quite a change from, what, two years ago, three years ago? Yeah, when we were basically <laughs> sitting here screaming into microphones saying, throw the ball deep, Derek. Uh, 43 deep attempts for 
Derek Carr on the year in seven games. Uh, Tom Brady's played eight and has 41. So uh, on those deep throws, Derek Carr has, according to Pro Football Focus, a big-time throw percentage of 38. Uh, and that is behind only Kyler Murray, Russell Wilson, uh, Joe Burrow, Dak Prescott. So, you know, he, this has become a big part of this offense. You need to have the deep ball available uh, if you were – the Raiders. Now, that does that mean that you can't use Brian Edwards, that you can't uh, try to use the talent that you have available? Well, yeah, yeah, and you probably aren't going to do it with Hunter Renfro, but you probably can try it with Zay, with a Zay Jones, who has had a pretty deep depth of target on his catches, too. Yeah, it's it's interesting because you, I, Edwards and, and Zay Jones are two guys that you, you can throw the ball down the field to. I don't know that you're – again – I don't know how much you you needed in terms of total like shots that you're going to take deep down the field versus, hey, we like that idea of having a guy that at least is running down the field and can take that chance. One of the one of the big things with like the big play to Henry Ruggs this year, and I know you've brought it up a lot on the show, it, it's happened when teams have blitzed and when Derek Carr sees, oh, there's one on one coverage, they're bringing seven guys and I know, OK, I'm, I'm just putting it up and having Henry Ruggs go make a play on it. We've seen it a little bit with Brian Edwards. We've seen it a couple of times with Zay Jones, too, this year. Had the walk-off touchdown in overtime. So there is some of that where Edwards and Zay Jones can can make up for that. The other area, I'm curious, Darren Waller, he fully healthy? I assume so. He's off the injury report. But I, I am curious how much Darren Waller, he had, what was it, 19 targets in week one. He's kind of fallen off, hasn't been... It's still sort of been like the number one targeted guy, but it's down to five or six catches a game, not eight, nine catches a game. Like Derek Carr certainly used a lot more guys. So I'm, I'm curious where Darren Waller fits into being back to like, oh, he's our de facto number one wide receiver again. It's a different way though, right? That's the, what you have to put into, into the equation is that when Darren Waller is your number one receiver, he's not your number one receiver the way you were using Henry Ruggs. And I know yeah. it's a little bit of apples and oranges here, but if you are going to run Darren Waller deep enough, you're going to try to stretch the defense with Darren Waller, then you're probably doing it on like a deep seam route, a deep corner, something like that. It's not like saying to Henry Ruggs, hey, go. <laughs> and then seeing how far Derek Carr can throw the ball and if it can get beyond the defense. So, you know, yes, they obviously have they have not been able to use Darren Waller in the same way as teams have basically been able to say, yeah, you know what? Uh, that's the one guy we're worried about. And that's the one guy we're going to take away. Um, I don't know that the Raiders can get away from that all too far. I, I don't know that they have the option to go away from Darren Waller in terms of what they can do now with Henry Ruggs gone. You mentioned 18 targets in week one. Then after that seven, 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 eight and five, um, the other thing that comes into those numbers, five and two. Like, that's the Raiders' record, yeah. even while Darren Waller hasn't been that great. Yeah, they've been, I mean, offensively, they've been great, even without Waller having some monster games, which I think is, there's probably a key there that you don't want Darren Waller having to have monster games for the passing attack to be good. All right, coming up next, Jeff Erickson is going to join the show from RotoWire. If you have fantasy football questions, this is the time to ask them. You can use our text line. 69187 is the number to text. Make sure you preface your message with ESPN. So just type ESPN and then whatever your message is and send it to 69187.
1-877-867-1887. 1-877-867-1887. We will ask it to Jeff Erickson and get you some fantasy football advice. Again, 69187 is the text line. Preface your message with ESPN. Door on anything, although I still stick by it's a it's a super, super slim, slim chance because again it takes it takes a team to want you first of all. And it's gotta be it's gotta be the right situation for our family. But you know, the Saints are a heck of a team and that that is definitely gonna be a contender down the stretch. Coach Coach Payton and what they've done there over the years, obviously with with Drew and, and uh over shoot the last fifteen years has been has been unbelievable. They're just they're in the mix each and every year. Joining us now from RotoWire is Jeff Erickson. If you have fantasy football questions, our text line is 69187. Make sure you preface your message with ESPN. Just type ESPN and then whatever your question is and send that off to 69187. Uh, you heard Philip Rivers there talking about New Orleans. All right, Jeff, give me give me a hypothetical here. Philip Rivers just he signs with the Saints today. Is he an actually a playable fantasy quarterback at any point this year? Maybe at some point this year, but his effectiveness was going down as it was anyhow. Um, you know, I, I also would sign with the Saints if they came and asked me. No, no, just kidding. Uh, <laughs> I, I just think it's kind of funny that, you know, Rivers has been out of the mix all season long, and, you know, they're even talking about that as a possibility. I don't. I don't think the Saints are going to do this. I, I think it's going to just. They'll stay in house with Simeon and uh, and with uh, Taysom Hill. I question. The one thing I question is whether they're going to go with Hill full time or they want to keep him in this kind of hybrid role. When you take a look at some other situations where injuries are going to be a huge factor, uh, what do you expect for Adrian Peterson in Tennessee? You know, I, I expect him to be the guy that runs between the tackles, uh, goal line carries. Uh, he might have a limited workload this first week or so, uh, first maybe two weeks. You know, that's one thing about working, having a good workout, showing up uh, in relatively good shape. It's another thing to be in game shape. And, you know, last, last year he had a lot of, like, week-to-week practice maintenance. Uh, he can't really afford that right now. He's getting up to speed with the Tennessee offense. So uh, that's one thing I want to watch for there. I think this week Jeremy McNichols is the back to have. If it plays out like you think over the course of the year, though, is McNichols worth having in two to three weeks? Yeah, I actually picked him up in a couple of leagues. Uh, I, I think he's, you know, in the way fantasy footballers with injuries right now, you get through this week, you get through next week, you worry about the future in the future. Uh, you just find whatever you can do to get through, get you through, especially if you're the one that's dealing with injuries to some of your other players there. Uh, you know, I, I think it's, it's a, I think you just try to find, uh, find Mr. Right now instead of holding out waiting for Mr. Right. If you are a Calvin Ridley owner right now, how are you handling this situation? Boy, it's so delicate. It's very difficult. Uh, I, 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 I would consider trading him because I, I just—it's open-ended. That's the thing I don't know. And of course, we have to respect him addressing whatever mental health issue he has and hope the best for him. But you know, from a fantasy perspective. You need to know whether your guy's going to be able to play or not, and uh, we just don't know with him. Uh, so I wouldn't expect him to be able to play this week. Uh, and I, I don't know if I. And keep in mind, Atlanta's already had their bye too. So, you know, it's not like you're going to get a reprieve. Oh, he would have been on bye anyhow. Um, I this could be a while. If Odell Beckham ends up with a new team, how much value do you think he has as a fantasy player? 
the other is a third degree sh- uh, shoulder strain. Um, I think he's and I, I think he can be an asset, but uh, you know he. He's, he may have played his last game for Cleveland. I don't know how they're going to work this out. Did they excuse him from practice again today? Uh, you know, we all saw the comments yesterday going around saying that you should consider him to be not part of the team. That's what Stefanski said to the rest of the team. Uh, so I, I, it, I don't think this ends well in Cleveland, at least. Uh, may, and I, I kind of tend to think there's more than just these Twitter things left from his dad and from the war on James. I think there's like probably words said in-house as well, is my guess. Uh, when this point of the season hits with your roster, if you have veterans who have underperformed and you're kind of evaluating where you are and what what to do, have we waited long enough at this point if you think it's a guy who should have performed up to a level where you're either looking at trades or you're trying to find a replacement, or is it too late already? Might be too late. Um it depends on the situation. Like Robbie Anderson, I'm pretty concerned about this. Not only uh, is Carolina throwing the ball less frequently, but Rob Anderson's actually struggled when he has gotten targets. He's had a lot of drops this year. He's a drop for me. Um, Allen Robinson, I'm not ready to cut the cord on him just yet. And I, I understand that there's, not, there's nothing there that's indicated things are going to turn around quickly. And, again, I don't think it's on Robinson. Uh, the problem is I don't think Robinson's performance has necessarily been worse I just think they, the way they run the, the Bears run their offense, it's really hurt him. And that that's hard to overcome. All right. If you have questions, text them in 69187. Preface the message with ESPN. First one for you. Uh, Mike Jacecki, Jacecki or Dawson Knox? I go Jacecki. Uh, you know, with Knox, he may or may not come back this week. But even if he does, I think Jacecki gets more targets. I think I would have had him ranked over Knox anyhow. Uh, another one for you, PPR League. So DJ Moore, Cortland Sutton, or Jeremy McNichols? I mean, just one of those. Uh, I would say I'm going to go Sutton. Uh, I've got him one spot over Moore, and McNichols was kind of guessing at how much of a workload. I think I'd take the wide receiver that is uh, pretty, like the most targeted receiver. Uh, another question from a PPR League. Need one. Uh, Khalil Herbert, Elijah Mitchell, Damian Harris. Okay, so we want to figure out what the status is on Mitchell. I know he missed practice yesterday because of the the uh, ribs, and you know it's uh, you know I, I don't think it's a, a massive problem. I think it's more just rest. They, they said at the beginning of the week he'd be limited, so I'm not really panicking yet. I actually have Mitchell highest on my list of those three, uh, but I, it's, that's a good good problem to have. I, I think those, all three of those guys can be pretty useful. I've got Mitchell eight. Damian Harris, 11, and uh, Herbert, 15 in my rankings this week. 69187 is the text line. If you have fantasy questions for Jeff Erickson of Rotowire, he'll answer them right now. Uh, here's another trade question. Would you make this trade acquiring Robert Woods and Najee Harris, trading away Debo Samuel and Kyler Murray, uh, says that he has Matthew Stafford on his bench uh, to replace Kyler Murray? Probably, uh, yeah. I think especially, yeah. You're, you're giving up a, a, the, the better receiver, but you're also getting back an elite running back that's already had his buy in the case of Najee Harris. And if you need help on running back, I think you got to do that deal. Uh, Six nine one eight seven is the text line. Zach Moss or Michael Carter? 
I go Michael Carter. Uh, Moss is a good matchup this week, but he's in a timeshare. Uh, Michael Carter, I think we're just starting to see, uh, you know, scratching the surface on how good he is. He was making a lot of play, uh, tacklers miss last week against the Bengals. Um, I'm going to go Carter. Is that the Jets offense? You get Mike White throwing for 400 yards. Michael Carter, I think he had like 150, 160 total yards. How how big of an outlier is that one week of offensive explosion for that offense? It's probably a pretty big outlier. There's almost no tape. Keep in mind, Mike White's been been around for a while and just hasn't played. So it's not like you know we, we knew a whole lot about him except for how, when he filled in the second half of that New England game. He actually played pretty well in that one. Uh, I. I, I do think that they're they're better with him because he is willing to throw the ball downfield. Uh, so I think that's that's one thing that helps out a lot. But it's pretty wild. The guy goes from you know his last college year of 2017. Uh, he threw for 4,000 yards two years in a row at, at Western Kentucky. So you know he had some skills, but uh, this is pretty impressive. Uh, but Carter, I mean, unleashing him has been huge because he was in a timeshare. Tevin Coleman got hurt. Um, and they haven't looked back. Hopefully this, that this is now like he is the bell cow. Maybe not bell cow, but he's definitely the lead guy. Ty Johnson will still get his touches too. But, you know, I, I think they are a better team with, uh, with this now. And, you know, getting him going, getting Elijah Moore going, it could be this, this season a pretty good offense. 69187 is the text line. Preface your message with ESPN. Allen Robinson or Rashad Bateman? I go Rashad Bateman. Um, and that's just, I've, I've got Bateman at 44. I've got Robinson at 47. So they're both pretty low. They're pretty much flex plays, the third wide receiver plays this week. Uh, 69187 is the text line Daniel Jones or Derek Carr? I know Derek Carr in this one here. Uh, Daniel Jones won't have Sterling Shepard again, won't have Barkley again. It might be uh, uh, a COVID issue going around in the Giants right now. So. They're already got injury issues, and now you had COVID. It could be a really big problem for this Giants offense. Uh, and last one for you on the text line here, A.J. Dillon or Boston Scott? Boy, that's a tough one just because both had big big steps up last week. It's, it's perfect. They're ranked right next to each other in my ranking this week. I, got, I go Dillon one spot over Scott. All right. Uh, Jared normally asks you Jalen Hurts or Aaron Rodgers. Obviously, that's not a question this week. Yeah. Uh, Jared, what's your other question? You want to know about a defense here? Yeah, I was going to go with uh, I got the Bengals and the Patriots. I have both defenses because I had I basically had to drop a wide receiver. Um, so I go the Patriots. Uh, there might, you know, they, the, the, the Carolina might be having uh, P.J. Walker start with Sam Darnold in the concussion protocol. But it, even if Darnold comes back, now, the Patriots are the team that made him see ghosts last time. So, uh, yeah, I think I like that for, the, for my defense. <laughs> All right, we got one last one in here from the text line. Uh, Michael Pittman or Brandon Cooks? Uh, I go Pittman. I like both this week, but Pittman's a star. He's going to get better and better. Well, he is Jeff Erickson from Roto-Wire, is always answering your fantasy football questions every Thursday. Jeff, as always, we appreciate it. My pleasure. Thanks, guys. So, Jeff Erickson, .com, uh is where you need to head for any of your fantasy football questions or just ask him here on Thursdays. I am, Jared, I am a little disappointed that Aaron Rodgers testing positive means you didn't get to ask him the same question you ask him every week. I mean, I, I, I asked him before I put him on the air. <laughs> It is. Uh, it's been great, and you yeah. haven't managed to trade either one of them the entire time. Yep. Good job and I you. have offered. I have offered some pretty good deals for either of them, and nope, no one seems to want Jalen Hurts or Aaron Rodgers.
All right, coming up next, uh, we uh, ruined the show again by giving Jared way too much control. I typed your symptoms into the thing up here and it says you could have network connectivity problems. Jared has questions, dumb questions. Here's a segment called Jared's Dumb Questions. You're the worst. Okay, she is just saying that to fit in. Let's get dumb. Let's get dumb. This is going to go poorly. What you got for us, Jared? All right, we have two options. The first one is we try to determine what other NHL captains the Golden Knights can acquire and put on the team, which is, you know, that's... I think that would be an excellent exercise in getting rid of the Golden Knights other first round picks. Or we have one that's slightly Thanksgiving related where you guys are going to have to tell stories off the top of your head. Which option would you like to go with? <laughs> All right, let's go Thanksgiving. Gonna All think right. I have a couple of good ones. Okay, so this was based on a tweet that I saw that I can't get out of my head. And the tweet goes, the Thanksgiving I was 37. I was dating a 45-year-old guy, and my sister, who was 33, was dating the 25-year-old son of the guy I was dating. Partway through Thanksgiving dinner, my dad got up, went outside, and mowed my sister's lawn in order to calm himself down. I, I have a couple bad Thanksgiving stories. But I don't know if I've ever been like, all right, guys, I'm just going to go do yard work and peace out. What is your most awkward Thanksgiving experience? Most awkward. Um, let's see. The last time that my all my aunts and uncles and like my mother were at their grandparents' house, my one uncle left in the middle of Thanksgiving because he was so tired of my grandfather. Uh, my grandfather is uh, very much an ass uh, <laughs> who just, he yells at people. He's very angry about everything and criticizes everybody. And like one of my uncles doesn't like, hadn't talked, they, they went like 10 years without talking at one point and he just had enough and left. There wasn't any, even one like particular thing. He was just like, yeah, I've had enough of this and just got in the car and drove back to Ohio. Um, <laughs> From Mississippi? Uh, no, we were in Tennessee, but close enough. Basically the same. Um, also, same same grandfather I had once before on Thanksgiving. We woke up at like 6 a.m. And because some tree fell down and he was like, well, we got to cut this up. And so we went and cut the tree up and split it into firewood on Thanksgiving morning before like at like seven in the morning. That's not that. Yeah, that's not that's not pleasant, Adam. No. So when you have the ex mother in law that I do, <laughs> um, no, this is a good one. Yeah. you have some stories that might might just come as no surprise might come as a total surprise i don't know um but she has she has a tendency to tell stories that very clearly are not true like right from the jump you can tell <laughs> are not true and they're often meant to one-up other people um but you just have to sit there and you gotta wear it right because if you try to challenge her on any of these stories she will go deeper down the rabbit hole um, it's, it's like Penelope from Saturday Night Live. Like, it's really, really impressive the way that she does it. And so, uh, I remember one year 
we had to listen to a story about someone that she knew uh, who had been pregnant for an entire 12 months. Um, <laughs> um, and we all just had to kind of nod and smile about how this was. But maybe maybe one of my favorite stories, and, and I'll, I'll apologize if this is, this might have been Thanksgiving, this might have been Christmas, but it all works the same. Um, and so my, uh, my ex and my ex-mother-in-law and uh, my, uh, my ex-grandmother-in-law were all sitting there having a conversation about childhood memories. And my, my ex-mother-in-law starts telling this story about the time that she had been away at Girl Scout camp. And, uh, you know, how it was so hard and she was homesick. And then when it was time for her mom to come pick her up, uh, that, you know, that, that she, they forgot about her and that she, you know, it was like hours later, blah, blah, blah. Okay. And my, my ex is sitting there listening to the story and she's like, hold on a second. She's like, mom. That's that's what happened when I went to Girl Scout camp. <laughs> like you guys forgot to come get me, and the, my mother-in-law is like, "No, nope, this is exactly how it happened." No, no. Now the grandmother says, "Diana, that never happened. I was your I was your troop leader for Girl Scouts. There's no way this could have happened." <laughs> so. Those kind of stories were a regular staple of of many holiday meals uh they're not the reason i'm no longer married but they uh they, they certainly are something that that i both but both miss and don't miss all at once oh my god so she she was the bad guy in the story and then retold the story to the people involved as though she was the victim of her own actions she met and and, and co-opted co-opted <laughs> her daughter's story in order to do it <laughs> I, i'm not gonna be able to top that it's phenomenal. It's very good. That's very good. Like the the whole one upper thing is pretty bad. My brother's ex wife in our family group chat. Anytime somebody would like say, "Hey, I'm doing blank," she would always reply with like, "Well, I'm doing whatever." Or, Here's a picture of the kids. Or like nonstop. The one upping thing is ridiculous. I'm glad but, you got rid of her. Yeah, she's gone. Uh, that's good, but not as bad as your ex mother in law. She sounds. Uh, Fun at parties. Someone would invite her to a party.